I went on I went on the trash shoot to Reddit the other day because I was I was looking for something I can't remember what now um, and I, I remembered about the existence of the Reddit and I was like oh maybe someone on there has posted about it or I can't remember what it was anyway um, and uh, I'd found someone uh, who'd who posted on there and was like oh maybe a controversial opinion but I think like whenever they start speaking German or like jokingly pretend to speak German they all just seem like precocious little Lord Fauntleroy's and I was like yeah that's the voice we're doing that's the point is <laughs> oh, that little handy. German boy handy for lot. Yeah. <laughs> oh das ist mega gegoated mit den swag aus the thing is right I, I get this because it always pissed me off when like fucking Charpa or whatever would do shissy British accents or, or British jokes but mm. on the other hand have you considered that if you're German and you're offended by this you lost the fucking wars yeah. two world wars one world cup and what do you yeah, don't ask about the other World Cups. Don't ask. <laughs> and do you really think... Marcus nicked. Uh, here's the tour. Uh, do you really think that Jan Blowjob was a salt of the earth guy who just started... Who just ran Twonkhole Capital because he was good at math? Yeah. Mm. No, he's he's got family money because his father invented the hand job. Common <laughs> misconception. Um, yeah, the Twonkhole Capital like history and values section on their website has a kind of gap chronologically. Mein Vater hat ein Mann ausgewankt. So, so hello everybody. It's time for TF. Um, it is all four of us today. <laughs> we got and- a serious guest on this one. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, I was gonna say Yavon. Uh, but it, it's serious enough uh, by our our, our standards. Uh, it is Danny already downgrading <laughs> that. It is Danny Dorling, uh, the Halford Mackinder Professor of Geography at the University of Oxford, who has written a book called Shattered Nation: Inequality and the Geography of a Failing State. Um, failing state, of course, being Britain. Um, and we are going to be. Uh, oh no! Yeah, I know. Crazy. Fuck. And we're going to be evaluating um, the Labour Conference. Reading this with like growing horror as I realize, but that's the country that I am in. Yeah. We're going to be evaluating the Labour Conference program at a high level um, based on that uh, metric. Speaking of Labour, however, um, I wanted to start with a few things um, about Labour Conference. Uh, one that is uh, quite serious and depressing and one that is quite humorous and depressing. Hmm. Uh, which one do we want to start with first? Ooh, give me the bad news first. Right, so um, it's going to be a little bit of a continuation of our bonus episode with Seamus, um, as the situation um, in the Middle East has continued to deteriorate, um, and uh, you know Israel has continued to talk about um, uh, Gaza with openly genocidal language, such as cutting off food, water, medicine, power, etc. Uh, Starmer uh, has said Israel um, has every right to defend itself in the way that, it's, that it chooses, uh, essentially saying, yes, this includes collective punishment of everybody who lives in Gaza by doing things yeah. like cutting off medicine, leveling apartment blocks. He also sent Emily Thornbury out onto TV to, to do the same line. And the thing about Keir Starmer and Emily Thornbury is that I know that both of them are, by training, human rights lawyers. And I know it's not a surprise, and I know it's an obvious point to make, to be like, yeah, you know perfectly well that this is a series of war crimes, uh, and you're choosing to sort of like elide that in service of getting elected. But fuck yeah. me, it's grim to watch. 
Mm. Well, it's the yeah. The Emily Thornberry interview was like quite comical because mm. she was just insisting that she had answered a question that she hadn't answered by like saying what basically this woman was saying is, is that not a war crime? Is that not forbidden? But and she was just going, I think Israel has a right to defend itself. And then she's like, but you haven't answered the question. She's like, yes, I have. I said this very anodyne soundbite that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I think it's it's also useful to say that, you know, what is the official labor position? The official labor position has been pretty much dead in the water since, I don't know, 2003, which mm. is they say, we believe in the two-state solution, a Palestinian state right. alongside a safe and secure Israel. And no, no one still believes in the two states. Yeah. Well, the only people who still believe in the two-state solution are the parties in Western countries where the main thing about them is they have to feel bad about shooting the gun. That's who believes in the two-state yeah. solution. Yeah, the only people who believe in a two-state solution are Flemish separatist nationalists in Belgium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, Belgium, uh, a great example of a one-state solution working, I guess. Yeah. Exactly, um, yeah. It, it, You've got the, the people who like the chocolates come together with the people who like little boys, uh, it, it, and, it, and it if works. We, if we can weld such disparate policies together into one nation state, <laughs> then to be honest, like, you know, is, Israelis and Palestinians, easy, bang that out in an afternoon. Like, yeah. So it, the... They like similar cuisine, whereas the French and the Dutch, they despise what each other eat. No, but the other thing I was going to say, though, right, is that we are, it is alarming how quickly we have progressed into September 12th, 2001 territory mm. in terms of the denunciations, calls for revenge, um, calls yeah. for essentially the total jingoistic loyalty from everyone um, for yeah. the prospect of a enormous set of either human rights abuses or for an enormous expansion of that conflict throughout the region, which would be incredibly destabilizing and injurious to everyone in the service of mm. nothing we or our allies do is ever wrong. The laws of it's essentially what Starmer is what Starmer and Thornbury are saying is as far as when one of our allies and friends wants to do something outside the laws of war, then the laws of war change to the, you know, some kind of Thucydides logic. It yeah. come. It just become whatever our. It's the laws of war. What is written in the Geneva Conventions or anything our friends really, 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 really want to do. <laughs> well, I think more specifically in uh, in Starmer and Thornbury's case, it's um if one of our uh, allies wants to do something that's outside the Geneva Convention and Rupert Murdoch thinks they should be allowed to do it then I can't say that they shouldn't be allowed to do it because then I'll get accused of being Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. J um, Jeremy Corbyn, who, you know, is, uh, like, by this point, supposedly a card-carrying member of the Al-Qasim Brigades, mm -hmm. as, like, now, like, there have been a couple of journalists who have had to delete tweets and do the, like, I apologize to Mr. Mm -hmm. Corbyn thing. Um, yeah. Well, it's just, just, they forget. They forget that the world outside their little conversation, outside of the necrotic scourge of British political insiderism, is happening. Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, like, it just became so established and so concrete that, like, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. There may as well be photos of him, like, wearing the, like, Hamas headband. I think, I think this is, like, a really interesting, because I've been looking at, like, some media stuff recently, and I think there's also some extra, like, phenomenon sort of going on. Um, in the sense that, like, and th this is more of, like, a thought in progress, so, uh, like, apologies for, you know, if it's confusing. So we all know that, like, the British kind of mainstream media has kind of lost a lot of prestige overseas. And one thing that, like, British newspapers used to be very good at, or used to be kind of, like, well-known for, was their coverage of kind of global affairs. Um, and as that prestige has sort of gone down, one of the interesting things looking at 
what is effectively like the sort of monumental uh, global crisis uh, has sort of become one that in which like even foreign dispatches kind of feel like going over the sort of Corbyn referendum like all over again. By which yeah. I mean that like it is all sort of fixated around like you know the sort of yeah it is, it is all basically fixated around Jeremy Corbyn. That's um, true. I mean, it used to be the case that like you you could be like, oh man, fucking like Robert Fisk is showing up or whatever. <laughs> there's there's going to be some like insightful reporting about this. I don't know how insightful well, it was, but mm. like he wasn't fucking going on about like Jeremy Corbyn, you know? Yeah, and what well, because well, like the reason I sort of bring this up is because like so so I mean to summarize it like basically if you go to a uh, if you went to a protest this week, or if you if you go to the protest on Saturday, um, which is like a Sal- Palestine solidarity protest, you are automatically like a card carrying member of Hamas. And these columnists are also well, they do give out those cards at the protest, which I think is a wrong. Some move, of them are quite shiny. Some of them are shiny, like they're rare collectibles. Um, but, it does, <laughs> but, it, but it, but it, but it, like it, you know. But their argument is like, well, you know, if you sort of factor them in as being. Hamas mm. supporters, and that can be like vague and nebulous, and you know, completely obfuscated. Mm. Um, then you know, they, you know, they basically advancing like anti like anti migration sentiment, anti immigrant sentiment. Um, you know, ba- you know, in in one of these columns, they kind of say that well, these people are clearly like terrorist sympathizers, and so mm. you should like you know, you should penalize them. You should you know, they should be thrown in prison or deported or whatever. And again, this like, it strikes to, it strikes me as like both a recognition that this country is a deeply, deeply unserious country, and it has so little to say about what is happening in the world that its only kind of retreat is one that is incredibly insular. And like the other example I was sort of thinking about, and this was from like people I know who went to Labour conference was that like you know uh any politician any labor politician that kind of uh interacted with the palestine solidarity campaign which has a stall at labor conference every year and is not a prescribed group but like politicians were basically told do not go anywhere near the like near them um you will be punished if you do so there were some mps who had to like issue out formal apologies for being for being pictured talking to uh, members who are running the stall, the stall that has been at Labour conference, you know, for many, many years and is not prescribed. I just want to like emphasize that. Um, and in the meantime, like any sort of, yeah, it's not the Hamas stall, <laughs> which you can also go to, but it's a bit spicy. Any, any, any like interaction that is considered to be sympathetic to Palestine solidarity uh, was considered like beyond the pale, and like no politician or representative was really like unofficially allowed to be part of it. And so it does feel like, even though this was the trajectory that I feel like we knew that the Labour Party was heading towards, it is one that really does show both its insularity, its fear of right-wing media. Um, but I think moreover, just like, you know, okay, this is just the way that things are now and human rights are woke. And so punitive collective punishment is actually completely fine. And if you don't support that, then you should also be collectively punished. Well, I, I think the, to build on that, right, you just have to think about the... And this is the thing, right? I, I'm, I don't think... I don't really care about gotchas, right? I, I think they're, they're just mm. pointing out hypocrisy, which, as we know, doesn't matter. Um, yeah. you know, but like, to, to build on that, like, there is the, there are the photo of Starmer speaking at a Palestine Solidarity Conference like within recent memory. As a sort of where he's younger and less puffy, um, and you know, it's the, well, he's got puffy from all that puddle water. <laughs> he got, he's, he's puffing up with puddle water. 
They filled him with air bubbles so that he can understand what it's like to be but, rack conquered. But what, is, what happened is someone has put on the one ring of British insiderism. It's just the difference between the one ring and the mythos of the Lord of the Rings is that it just gives you access to power in a small, failing, and fading place, essentially. Mm. It gives you access to power that looks only inward. And that, and, and that, that inward-looking power just agrees on which, uh, which indignities and punishments are to be meted out to prescribed or mar- marginalized or outside the wire groups. And it is, is, is what yeah. is that what the ring from Lord of the Rings does? I thought it just made you invisible and run around really fast. Yeah, uh, yeah. which Keir Starmer is also doing. Yeah, he's in here right now. I want to. I want to do one more. One more quick item about Labour conference before we go on. I was just going to say on top of that, I think this plays into two classic tropes of British politics, which is one, <laughs> being able to remember things that have happened is cheating in any British political debate. Yep. Like, how dare you point out something that happened before that is relevant to this situation? That's not fair. I am a goldfish. And if you remember something that happened more than seven seconds ago, that's violence against me. And second of all, um, if you say anything that everyone knows is true but isn't saying, that is you should be banned from politics for life. Like, if you have observed a true fact about a situation that doesn't accord with the overall narrative, then fuck you. You're not you're not welcome in this discussion. Yeah. Well, because it's this is why I talk about British insiderism as essentially being a kind of touch of death. Just a, it's a touch of context death. Mm. Because the, the, to yeah. become a British insider is to willingly make yourself stupid. And I don't mean like incapable of A B reasoning. I just mean you, for the purposes of power, decide to put on um, you know, the blinders of I can't see it, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Right? You yeah, you become a sort of political horse. Yeah, you <laughs> essentially you you sort of charge in one direction, and you're yeah. that's that's your that's your life. Yeah, now. Starmer's got his little coconut halves. He's going around <laughs> labor conference. He's he's licking a big salt lick. He's eating an apple. If we wanted to, and it's not sort of stupid as like, oh, that'll never work. It's stupid in as much as you become unable to perceive the things around you, or even if you can perceive the things around you, you become numb. You become numb to the consequences for other people. You become unable to process what you, what the consequences of what you're going to do because what you're going to do what you're going to allow what you're going to endorse what you're going to move forward whether that is giving the sort of green light to you know um the IDF to tear up the Geneva protocol Geneva convention while going into Gaza or whether that mm-hmm. is deciding that you know the NHS can't be saved except by AI you have to be you have to make yourself kind of stupid to not feel what you're doing you have to you have to thicken your own brain or it will keep you up in the at the nighttime nice thick well insulated brain to keep you warm over winter and so when i talk about stupid i don't mean oh what a goof what an object of fun but rather what an object get enough microplastics in there you can create a kind of like a fleece lining around the inside of the skull i i think what an object of pity at that point to, Mm. to numb yourself to other people so much that you, who were once standing at that, you know, save Gaza stall, are able to now do this. I mean, um, it was never, it was never particularly sincere. Is I no. think the main conclusion to draw yeah. is, uh... or even if it's not, even if it's not sincere, to know you have to, you have to armor yourself against what you do, whether that's through ambition, whether that is through uh, cruelty, or whether that is through just deciding that the story you're telling yourself is right. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, and I'd like, yeah, there's so many bad takes. 
Like the idea that you're supposed to care about Israeli civilians, but then you can also just carpet bomb every like woman and child in Gaza and that's fine. Mm. Is is it's such a bizarre kind of like cognitive dissonance that you and if you don't if you refuse to enter that cognitive dissonance, you're excluded from British politics. That, because it's like it's racist to not engage in this huge lie that we're all telling. It's the it's that we this is what I mean about you have to make yourself stupid in order to yeah. in, in order to simply I exist. I don't think that's necessarily true because I think there's two choices here. You have two two genders available mm. to you. You can make yourself very stupid, Ooh. or you can make yourself very spiteful. And I think it's perfectly mm. possible to go into this absolutely openly and be like, "Yeah, the genocide is good, and we should do it." Um, mm. And you know, you go back to your sort of uh, 2001 to 2003 kind of thing. I'm talking about like Islamofascism or whatever. You know, and there have been a few people mm. who have just uh, who have been willing to do that. And to be honest, it's it's refreshing that they're you know actually saying it instead of just being like, mm. "Oh, well, Israel has a right to defend itself." Yeah, it is. It's as you as you have said, it is the great increasing in honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, masks coming off yeah. at long last. So here, here's the awkward thing, of course. I planned for us to do a quick startup before we talk to Danny Dorling. And this is, boy, is it stupid. Um, okay. So it's another jarring is shift in Is it as stupid tone. as you need to be to be leader of the Labour Party? Yes. Okay. So it's, it's just a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've invented a yeah, horse. The startup is called, is, no, it's oh. called Horse. Uh, it's, it's a revolution in personal rapid transit. Runs uh, on sustainable yeah. biofuels. <laughs> no, it's called no. base, actually. Mm. Right, we've, we've invented cocaine. God, this is so close. <laughs> you get some free base. No, no, no. You um, don't, no, Alice. You don't understand how close you are. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 pharmacy. Are we doing like CBD for cocaine? Have we invented a form of cocaine that doesn't really work but is legal? How come capitalism is the best economic system in the history of uh, all of humanity if the CBD oh. version of cocaine doesn't exist? Diet Coke. <laughs> Diet Coke. <laughs> Very there good. We are. Well done. Fuck yeah. 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 And then men won't men won't snort it, so they have to come out with Coke Zero. <laughs> um, Hussein, it's called base. What do you think? I've said mm. that they're close with cocaine. Um legally I, they're not close with cocaine. Uh I think it's is it like some kind of nootropic? Uh, well, I'll say base brings together the most interesting people in cities around the world through unique <gasps> experiences. Oh, okay, so it's oh, it is cocaine. Okay. <laughs> so it's so it's Soho House, but for people who are on cocaine. Oh my! No, that's Soho House. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. Hussein's <laughs> got it. <laughs> what? Oh, so- but that's just Soho House. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't explicitly say it's for people on cocaine. Let's talk It'd about. Be it. very funny if that was the thing that like actually got us sued for the first time is Soho House being like we do not condone <laughs> the consumption yeah, in, of illegal in, drugs in, in the Soho House. Soho House smirking off of their face, <laughs> like their mouth actually leaving their head as they go, we don't condone the taking of illegal drugs you know, on the territory of Soho there House. Is, there is, in um in Soho House, there is a little sign on the toilet that just says, we have a zero tolerance policy for taking <laughs> drugs. That's the most... Tolerant zero tolerance policy. Uh, uh, this is like completely unrelated to what base was, but I did think of the idea of like what is cocaine but not cocaine, and I was thinking about like vapes and how uh, all this mm. like fl- yeah flavored basically flavored cocaine is the thing that's oh, in the, my the, mind right the, now. Yeah, the bubblegum flavored coke. 
Oh yeah. Well, you know, so it has to be cocaine that smells good. It's like mixed with like an oud. <laughs> I, I, I've kind. always assumed that cocaine smells good. Otherwise, why else would people be like sniffing it? That's right. Mm. You stick with that, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so brings the together... only podcaster in the world who has never done coke. What do you want from me? Faze brings together the most interesting people in cities around the world to unique experiences. The innovators, the artists, the eccentrics from all backgrounds and industries. Faze matches the right people at the right time to spark conversations, generate collaborations, and start life-changing friendships. Now, uh... <laughs> going on a cocaine retreat to like network. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like ayahuasca, but you're just in Bolivia instead of Peru, <laughs> and you're there, and it's like, and now you will invent the ancestral concept of the small plates restaurant. <laughs> um, so basically, it is a Miami-based startup. They say great minds. Of make course, it already is. very of strong. Course. As soon as you say Miami-based or Vegas-based, I'm like, ah, oh, this is going to be really out there, yeah. Mister Worldwide. Mm. That's right. Um, <laughs> Bully XL himself. <laughs> say, After attending a, a base experience, you're able to indicate which members you connected with the best. I've certainly had some base experience. <laughs> this information helps base AI get smarter in matching you to other people in your city oh, in the future. Fuck. Wait, so fuck. this is this is yeah. like AI and assisted speed networking. Correct. It's like eHarmony, but for like business. Well, you know that you know that whole thing about like you need to upgrade your circle. Right. Yeah. So this, is, this is the AI that helps you upgrade. your network. Is your network. This is, this is this is the AI that helps you upgrade your circle with other like-minded cocaine takers. Uh, <laughs> legally speaking, we cannot say they do cocaine. <laughs> I I, I want I want an app like this, but it's for people on cat, and it just links you up with yeah, other horse. people who can't walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and a horse. <laughs> Yeah, it's just... yeah, you can all ride the horse. It's like one horse <laughs> per four people on cat. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, it was a horse XL because we had six people. <clears throat> no, so got a ripped horse. <laughs> so you can do the base dinner, which is a match dinner uh, experience at one of our special venues. Mm -hmm. Of course, this startup, which has now received half a million dollars in financing, um, they don't have like a building or anything. What they have is an AI that matches you based on a profile with someone else based on the idea that too many tech people talk to only other tech people. Right. So, yes, which is probably true, but. Uh, is it going to be solved with an exclusive, very expensive AI-based members club? Well, if, if they can no, corral it's... some people who aren't tech people into that. Uh, so, yeah, amazing. Here's what, so, like a horse. Uh, CEO, <laughs> yeah. just check this out. CEO Caben Clausen. Oh, hold on. Oh, There's some, something whoa, yelled whoa, whoa, by a whoa. guard and like the second reel of The Great Escape as Steve McQueen sort of guns <laughs> it towards the wire. <laughs> Yeah. So, Caben Clausen, Hender Hoch, for then is the key for buy. Sound of an MG42 cocking, and then just Caben Clausen, house! Yeah. Love anti German content tonight. Caben Clausen told Refresh Miami that he originally moved to Miami to co found the Y Combinator backed Pigeon. However, he says base is making it okay. very easy to invented the pitch. Base is making it very easy to facilitate a high-end conversation with incredible people. Uh, base pulls information from their so-called base index, a matching algorithm that aims to determine which members will get along best. They get this information in the following: potential members are interviewed before being accepted to join the community. The questions include things like, "quote If you were to write the story of your life, what would the current chapter be?" 
Bayes also asked people about their dream dinner guests. The Jesus most common Christ. answers being Michelle Obama, Elon Musk, and Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> this is like this is like reverse Oxbridge. It's like it's like it's like there's an interview where they check that you're stupid enough to get in. <laughs> like that's the. Yeah. They say, um, and so the idea that right is the is they're trying to they're trying to disrupt friendship by realizing that most people <laughs> have friends from their experiences of their lives. As opposed to yeah. most people having friends based on whether they'd rather have dinner with Michelle Obama or Elon yeah, it's, Musk. It's, it's not very efficient. Like, none of us agree on who our, like, perfect ideal dinner guest would be at all. Well, yeah. I don't know. I want I want mm. a friendship group that is entirely uh, uh, Phoebe's from Friends, uh, if you did one of those BuzzFeed quizzes, but all from different occupations. Mm. Oh, I was thinking they need, they need to find people whose ideal dinner guests are one another. It seems like it would make Ooh. sense. Isn't that just dating yeah. again? <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got it. We've got to put together Nelson Mandela, William Shakespeare, uh, the Big Bopper. <laughs> uh, I was excited. This is from uh, someone uh, writing an article in like the Miami Times. When I showed up to my first base dinner at a cozy Italian restaurant in downtown, the experience brought together eight of us from a wide variety of industries. Pays uh, curate some questions to stimulate the discussion. It's an icebreaker. It's a five hundred thousand dollar icebreaker for like. Adults who are desperate for Freshers Week. Cool. That's so you cool. Could... Adults who are desperate for Freshers Week also describes like middling nightclub DJs. <laughs> well, oh, I love it when the Freshers come. At back. this dinner, the diversity of backgrounds was great, including a therapist, a DJ, and a spa owner. That's not a huge amount of like. Right. I, it also it, sounds like, like the beginning a, of like a terrible pub. Yeah, joke. it sounds like a beginning of a pub joke. Yeah, you, you have to have some real surprises in there. Like you know, DJ isn't that that outre. There, that's not that weird you know it, sh it should be like you know something yeah. you know professional fucking a dj right. therapist and a horse yeah, so the barman DJ. says why the long face <laughs> can i can i say something about the dj thing this is like completely unrelated yeah. i feel like too many people are becoming djs now that's true like, there should in, be laws back in the day back in the day to be a dj you had to have like scratching ability you had to have uh, a whole case of vinyl that you carried around, mm -hmm. um, and now you had to have and, a white wrapper. You had to have you had to have a white wrapper. Um, <laughs> and these days, these days you can carry a DJ controller in your bag and connect it to your laptop. Um, I saw someone at a coffee shop today uh, with one of these controllers. Not a DJ. I'm sorry. You are a management consultant. Go away. So. People were telling us they were feeling a sense of isolation, and that base has given them a consistent sense of community. Said Klausen. Um, wow, what you, a sad little life. You can just you can just go outside. You can do stuff like if you have shared interests and you don't share them with anyone, you can just like yeah. go and pursue them. You can go join a fucking I don't know a, a DJ circle. Is that a thing? Mo model train yeah. club? I don't know. You can go. go you yeah. can go and meet friends without it being institutionalized. Like I agree, there is yeah. a, ter a lots of people are very very lonely. But the idea that you're going to like get people together based on a Myers Briggs uh, test is kind of yeah. ludicrous. I don't know. I, if, yeah. if this app has changed your life, then bowling would change your yeah. life. That's the level you're operating on. You're yeah. little more than an amoeba. I don't think the premise of it is necessarily a bad thing. On the basis that, like, yeah, like I. You know, obviously, I can only really speak for like myself and my limited experiences of things. But I think, like, you know, it is it is like much more difficult to like meet people, and maybe that's like an age related thing. Maybe it's like a post pandemic thing, like as well. But and especially if you don't live in like a city, for example, then I think it can become quite difficult. Um, and that is sort of accelerated by the fact that mm. unless you live in a big city, it is quite likely that the places where you would meet people 
be it in pubs or be it in like you know arts and crafts clubs or whatever like are just either being shut down cut back and so on so i like i can understand like why this would stuff would exist my issue with this is that it kind of clearly cases towards a particular kind of person for whom like this is not really a problem Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they cater towards people who like do live in those cities, and so this feels less of a kind of oh, I want to meet friends like who have similar interests and tastes to me, and it does feel much more like oh, I want to optimize my social circle, but mm-hmm. uh, rather than sort of my, all my friends being management consultants, I sort of want an eclectic mix of friends DJ. for whom for uh, like, including a DJ who is not actually a DJ because all he does is press buttons for me to talk about management consulting with. So I'll, yeah. I'll finish here. Tech innovation has played a major role in developing base, both in terms of creating the index and facilitating the operations behind every dinner experience. I love a dinner experience. What I love to have the operations of it facilitated. That's one of my favorite things to do with those operations. Making a reservation, for example. Mm-hmm. Building a skyscraper on top of a mountain in the Saudi Arabian <laughs> desert where the dinner will be hosted. Base is also currently working on an app to give members a chance to connect outside their experiences. Wait, so it isn't even an app yet? Mm. It's just no. like, it's, it's some just, guys. It's just $100 a month for a chance to have some icebreaker That's questions. so much money! Yeah. Like... Mm. <sighs> what, uh, what, what happens if you, if you join this app and it just hooks you up with a bunch of guys in Hamas? <laughs> like, these are the guys you're most compatible I was, with. I was, I almost made this joke earlier when I was like, they should give you some like really unexpected people to match with, and it's like, yeah, it's like Islamic jihad fighter. Yeah, the twentieth hijacker was just a guy from this app. <laughs> Sh- shared interest with the twentieth hijacker. Um, you know, yeah. crochet both connected by hijacking. their love, not turning up to work. Yeah. Both, love, yeah. both connected by their love of Toblerones. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring base da- back down to base camp now. And I'm going you to. Could, you could not launch the app base in any Arabic-speaking country. That's right. Mm. Um, that well, true. you could. It would just probably have some baggage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Islamic Jihad guys would show up. <laughs> I mean, you, uh, easy icebreakers. But um, <laughs> we're going to. Uh, I just, I just got that joke. Yes. We're going <laughs> to welcome our guest for our second half. Um, so please join us in a few seconds in the future uh, while we talk about. Labor Conference, Starmer's plans for new towns, and so on and so on, with economic geographer Danny Dorling. See you in a second, everybody. Hello, uh, all you listeners from just a few moments ago. We are now in the second half of the episode, and we are being joined by Danny Dorling, the Halford Mackinder Professor of Geography at Oxford, author of numerous books on inequality, the in- economic geography of inequality, now most recently the author of Shattered Nation, Inequality, the Geography of a Failing State. So, Professor Dorling, I just have to ask, as the Halford Mackinder Professor of Geography, who, as we all know, wrote The Geographical Pivot of History, can you please comment on Keir Starmer's failure or unwillingness in his conference speech to mention the importance of Britain taking and holding Uzbekistan so that we may once again rule the world island? He just isn't ambitious enough, is he? You know, I, he should be going for Empire 3.0. I mean, uh, you know, this man's supposed to, you know, have guts and patriotism. He puts flags behind him. Uh, but he just isn't <laughs> properly British, is he? I, I, I know, it's disappointing. There's so many small rocks around the world. We, you know, we could start with some little islands, at least. But yeah. no, no, he's got no ambition, I'll care. 
I love I love that Riley opened this with like a very very esoteric sort of IR <laughs> geography beef from like mm. from like undergraduate days. It's like having yeah. read this guy's books, like Uzbekistan. What? It's a center of the world island. He's, every geographer <laughs> knows that's that's where the power begins. Yeah, that's right. You've got your plov. You've got your donut shaped bread. You've got everything you need. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, Halford Mackinder knew it. And then um, Britain and, and, and Russia competed over it for decades. Uh, many uh, sort of ambitious uh, Russian aristocrats and British army subalterns were sent um, blacked up to die in Kiva. And now Keir Starmer spits on their grave by refusing Black to conquer ops. Uzbekistan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to see Keir Starmer conquer Uzbekistan. I want to see him at the head of a kind of Mongol horde. I think that would be great. I would love to see him be like, look, I think that, you know, that's a broad church, the Mongol horde. There are some people that want to take things in one direction and another. And there's a way we could use that as a strength. Because if you take one of my enemies and you tie him to one of the horses going one way, but also to one of the horses going the other way, I think we could use this energy in a productive way. <laughs> right, so... Look, if, if we're not going to be um, recapitulating the um, sort of frankly quite odd thought of Alfred Mackinder, um, what mm. I propose mm. to do um, is to talk a little bit about the um, economic geography of what Starmer seems to be promising, Starmer and Associated Acts seem to be promising via labor conference. But before we do that, um, your book talks about Britain as being essentially shattered in a geographic sense and kind mm. of a failing state given that most of our listeners kind of Wait, what are yeah are <laughs> indeed are familiar yeah, read, with reading this with like mounting horror like but that's yeah. the country that i'm living in <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, turning to the images page and there's like a google earth image of the top of your head and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> now, given that most of our listeners kind of already know that you just want to talk about why shattering as your main sort of theoretical pivot for what you're talking about. And then we'll go into this, the conference speech and see, does it solve that? Okay, wh why? It, you begin to run out of words. Um, we, mm. we had an atlas called Bankrupt Britain uh, almost a decade ago. And, and it's not a fail state. You know, it, it, there, there, is, there is some way to go. We could, you know, we could keep trying to go through the sunlit uplands and see just how far we can go. Can we take the UK into the second and the third world? I need people to know it can get worse. <laughs> it could get worse. It it becomes harder and harder to to actually muck it up even more. But it's kind of it's the opposite of Mackinder. You know, now Mackinder was all about how can we regain the empire? How can we be at the top again? How can we be bigger than the United States? Uh, this is well, we really don't want to be like the United States. We're becoming more like them. We have the biggest prison, prison population in Europe. We have more people mm. sleeping on the streets than anywhere else in Europe. So we're, we're like the USA. We have fractured our health service. We're not quite at the level of the USA in terms of life expectancy, but we're heading that mm. way. We've privatized our housing to private landlords so that we can have an eviction rate. Um, it's, it's, if you imagine a kind of anti-Makinda going, you know, let's really try and, and, you know, can we become the most unequal country in Europe and have the highest rate of poverty anywhere west of the poorest parts of Eastern Europe? You know, and we're, we're, we've succeeded. And that you got to be fair, you know, that is George Osborne and Boris Johnson and so on, mainly can take the credit, but Tony Blair helped and Gordon Brown gave it a little shove in that direction. 
Well, it, what yeah. I think is very... They're filming the first 10 minutes of Borat now, they'd do it in the north of England. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, 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 no. Do it in the southeast, the southeast of England, <laughs> which doesn't Hastings, include London. Yeah. No, 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 way. Surrey, Surrey. Surrey would have gone oh, bankrupt. Okay. Surrey would have gone bankrupt, but they couldn't let it go bankrupt, so Birmingham can Slough has gone bankrupt. Um, the southeast of England has a higher child poverty rate than Scotland. It's not Hastings, it's not Newcastle. It is actually the home counties. And, and yeah. I think this is this goes to show, right, of the um, we talk about trying to become more like the U.S. is when we talk about um, projects that fail, not just morally, but on their own terms, trying to become like the U.S. without being the kind of global consumer of last resort at the head of a blood soaked mm. empire doesn't really work. You don't you don't have the level of prosperity to support that much inequality and have it tick over, really. Yeah, um, you cannot give giant plasmas screens to all your poor and unlike the us we can't simply print sterling endlessly and go oh i've got this amazing modern monetary theory don't worry we could just print the pound because they'll stop sending food because we're, we're not in the same position as the usa we don't have 10 fleets well oh, shit. I, I think um starmer might disagree with you there with his speech of Let's get yeah, Britain's one future back. golden horde, which is going to secure <laughs> the borders of Uzbekistan. <laughs> no, and we're sharing an aircraft carrier with the French. We are sharing an aircraft unity. carrier. Didn't the planes fall off it then? Yeah, we still got some American nuclear missiles from those submarines if we think they really work. But um, we are It'd on be the, very we're, funny we're if they gave us non-functioning missiles. Well, flag they're quite old. It It'd be quite good if they were non-functioning. Mm. Yeah. So I, I want to move on to, to Starmer's speech because he poses the question, That's we. <laughs> let's on, get Britain's <laughs> future back, saying, and this is from later on in the speech, but I want to bring it up at the top because it's also a little bit of a theme, um, that this is an appeal to conservative voters who despair at their party mm. uh, and that this is a changed Labour Party that is no longer enthralled to gesture politics. He then makes a claims to solve a number of problems without major investment. For example, the Green Prosperity Plan being now cut by £8 billion a year, having been moved back for two years. Finally, gesture politics is at an end. We will be doing announcement politics instead, which is different. <laughs> <laughs> sort, of a, right. sort of a semaphore politics, you know? I mean, yeah. it's sort of the same amount of flags involved at this point. Yeah. 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 So, uh, <laughs> Starmer says, I believe in this country. I believe in, it, in its spirit, its people, its businesses, and its communities. I don't just see the sewage in our streams and our seas. I see the volunteers, people who love their community, standing up to fight for clean water. That's really funny to begin an inspirational thing with the sewage acknowledgement. Yeah. To be like, yeah. to do the like, look for the helpers, Mr. Rogers thing about like, yeah, every waterway is choked with filth. Yeah, he, he well, could do. And, and of course, he won't turn to the one part of the UK which has the least sewage, which is Scotland. Oh, you know, we, 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 love, yeah. we, we have a place that has sorted out some of these things, but we can't mm. talk about Scotland. It's not allowed. They wafer thin uh, element of social democracy is <laughs> yes. all that we needed to like uh, you know, hold back this sort of like reservoir of turds. I love the idea of a sewage acknowledgement in the sense that like, uh, yeah, <laughs> before, before no, you, you're like, doing this, wild like... swimming, you're like, you know, this is the river that was traditionally inhabited by a bunch of turds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he finds it really difficult uh, because he can't talk about the parts of, of the UK which are succeeding. Mm. The parts which are actually stopping children going cold and hungry in winter because they're not his parts. Um, mm. He he's trying to ape something which is 
a failed model. Yeah, George Osborne said in 2015, if you follow my economic plan, then by the year 2030, we'll be the richest medium-sized large country per capita uh, in the world. Boris Johnson in his resignation speech. Just six more years to go. Six Come years. on, We're we can do there. this. We're almost there. We're just just got to tough it out. Got to tough it out. Johnson, resignation speech. The sunlit uplands are just round the corner. And Starmer carries on the same one. We'll have the highest growth rate out of the G7 if you just le- leave it to me. Don't look mm, at the details. If you collapse your economy enough, it's quite easy to have a high growth rate. So, so okay. he's doing he's doing like one more pull kind of laborism, <laughs> but for the opposite political tendency. That's beautiful. So yeah. it, it additionally, you know, it's it's the to be clear, number one, I'm sort of starting. I'm not starting from when he starts, which is just like some arsenal jokes. I'm starting from when it picks up. Um, yeah, all the kind of like weak conference shit was yeah, like, the yeah, they, here's, here's what my parents did and we're, stuff. We're, yeah. we're skipping the patter. Um, and I also want to yeah, say, you know, Starmer. about the donkey sanctuary. I've, I've sold it off and I've used it to keep horses for my horde. <laughs> Starmer recognizes that every turd in the river creates an opportunity for someone to contribute to their community by removing that turd from the river. <laughs> Yeah, it's the character for like human feces and the character for uh, yeah, opportunity. Yeah. One, the, one, yeah. third, one third at a time. This, this is the re- reality of big society. You know, we find <laughs> it is small nets, small <laughs> nets to cope with the small boats. I don't just see the crumbling concrete in our schools. I see the teachers in the temporary classrooms still giving the, our children the education they deserve. <laughs> I saw the teachers crushed to death by that company. <laughs> and they, I salute them. And they were carrying a little Union Jack at the time, so it's all okay, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the plan. But what if you, we could build the schools out of turds like Wattle and Daub? <laughs> we could solve two problems at a stroke. Genius! <laughs> the plan. Yeah, there we go. The plan of the Labour Party is explicitly to not fix the schools. All he's saying is he will bear witness to the crumbling schools and be sad about it. Well, he, it. he will respect the teachers unless they, you know, strike or anything yeah. like that. Because we haven't got any spare schools in this country. We haven't got great big enormous ones that are half empty. Which, if you needed some schools, because you had a two hundred roofs going. You mm. might go, oh, look, look, there's some schools there, and there, there aren't many children in them. They've got quite an expensive uniform and loads of teachers. And teachers have been, no, 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 leave those ones alone. Tiny increase in their tax rate. But nothing, nothing mm. that radical, nothing to scare the horses, because um, we need those well, you horses. You can't scare the horses when you've got a horde. <laughs> no, no, so, they're, they're, for, they're for the horde. That's the, that's the GMB and the, uh, the arms industry unions. They love him. Wasn't, yeah. Well, that, that was the... Yeah. Wasn't Starmer, that like, was, quite heavily into uh, taking away private schools, charitable status, and then like immediately abandoned that after like a couple of weeks. Oh, yeah, no, no, exactly no, that, what that, was what, that was one of the later ones he abandoned. They oh. abandoned a whole load of stuff before then. Um, mm. But no, no, that's gone as well. And then before you know it, uh, those schools will be full of little Starmer clones, all saying how much they care while elevating themselves separately from the rest of society. So, so I will carry on. I don't just see the boards going up in our high streets. I see the businesses, the pubs, the cafes, and the retailers still trading, finding a way through the chaos and serving their community. That's the real Britain conference. I fucking hate that. Millions of people who've oh, looked like at the addressing Tories... the conference in the second yeah. person. Yeah, lame. <laughs> Millions of people who've looked at the Tory circus and said, "Fine, we'll get on with it ourselves." I say, let's stand with them and give them the government they deserve. Turn our backs on never-ending Tory decline with a decade of national renewal. Do not I, mean, I think if the- you vote for Keir Starmer, you will get the government you deserve, but in, in sort of like a monkey's paw kind of way. 
I'd go to the Tory Circus. I want to see Matt Hancock do trapeze. Well, it's <laughs> a matter of months away. He says, yeah, do yeah. not doubt that the fire of change still burns in Britain. The question is whether it lives on inside labor. And today we turn the page. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking question, isn't it? <laughs> sort of a, a brief turn into Zoroastrianism oh, there, don't, too. Don't you feel sorry for him? I mean, he must know. No. Some, you, know he, 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 you don't feel sorry for him at all. No, we didn't start the fire, and we're going to find who did. You think he manages to avoid ever seeing a clip of himself talking? Maybe. (laughs) Maybe he's sheltered from it. Mm. Let me say this. Do not doubt the fire of change still burns in Britain. Today we turn the page to answer the question, why labour with a plan for Britain built to last? So, just to review... That's sort of like enhanced interrogation on that metaphor. We're going to turn a page... On the fire. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> How come the fire has burned through this turn page over quickly? A new turn fire. one. <laughs> it's just, but my <laughs> book is printed on asbestos pages, which, if used correctly with a mask, is impervious to the heat of the fire. Obviously, it's very important not to abrade the book around anyone who's not wearing appropriate rebreathing protection. Mm. So, so, huge so, fan of uh, Fahrenheit 451. You know? so, mm. we, well, we have this sort of like table setting here. The fire of change burns in Britain which is going to allow us to turn the page and get the NHS off its knees. So those are the three right, things, okay. right? Mm. Well, because the NHS is trapped under a very heavy page of a book. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they're like on their hands and knees going, oh, I wish I could stand up, but this is very heavy asbestos book. <laughs> so there, there, are five, there are five missions, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so fucked that they call them missions, too. Like, oh. I know this is his thing, is, is mission politics, and it's just like, why this kind of language? Why the turn to the tactical? Mm. Well, like, uh, Ruth there... Davidson showing up in her fucking, like, cadet's uniform was already, I, I think, the sort of British public's tolerance limit for, for this kind of stuff. It's um, kind of like, a, it's, a, it's a Duke of Edinburgh award approach to politics, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. you know, he's going to get some badges. <laughs> so, oh, I hope here, so. Here are the missions. Higher growth, safer streets, cheap British power in your home, more opportunities in your community, and the NHS off of its knees. Um, opportunity in the community, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to require mission government rather than sticking plaster politics, because um, no one's oh, ever okay, had missions yeah. before in government. No one's ever gotten into government to try to do something. Um, is and also, sticking plaster politics the same as gesture politics? No, st- gesture politics is what Corbyn did, and sticking plaster politics is what the Tories do, and real mission-driven yeah. government is what Starmer will be doing. I see. He's a, yeah. a grown-up in the room. He's a grown-up in the room. We keep repeating yeah, it. When so. you've got a crack in your rat concrete school, some people would suggest sticking a kind of plaster over that crack to uh, you know, sort of retard the degree at which it cracks open, but we're not even going to do that. So we're not doing sticking plaster so, politics. We will give the school a pep talk, however. So is this, he says, this is actually something I'm interested in the economic geography of. There are a couple of elements here. Number one is he always talks about this concept of unlocking, and it's something that I think since... 2017, 18. It's something we've seen in the more like liberal bent of um of Britain. Whether that is the idea that uh, leveling up frequently responds to or thinks about this concept of unlocking, and he says mm. the possibility in working people in the parts of our country is ignored, passed over, and disregarded as source of di- sources of growth and dynamism, but with potential ready to be unlocked. So, and he also says. Yeah. Um, if we want to challenge the hoarding of potential in our economy, then we must win the power 
of the hoarders in Westminster. Give power back and put communities yeah, as opposed to the, the potential the hoard. Yeah, the potential hoard. <laughs> Let's talk about this idea of unlocking and why unlocking has to happen geographically. As an economic geographer, how does that strike you? Um, well, it, it, this is this old idea that uh, you've simply got to unlock this hidden potential that's just waiting to burst out. And it, and it requires the son of a tool maker who knows all about locks and the tools to do it. To free people. And donkeys. And don- and, and the, remember that he sold the donkeys? We're not going to mention the donkeys. Oh, so that's right. Yeah. He's, he's got horses now. Yeah, yeah. The, the donkeys are gone. Uh, and it's it just requires a few switches to the levers, a tiny switch on interest rates, something else, a bit more caring. Uh, oh, and some mm. more devolution, which is a brilliant code word for we've run out of money entirely, so now it's over to you, Manchester, and this is what you've got left. Um, it's... Mm. Wishful thinking, really. It's kind of, well, things are so bad, they'll probably turn around them by themselves, but, you know, I'll be in power and I'll be able to take the credit for it. But I don't think, I really don't think there's much of a plan there at all. Because it says that the state... Oh, no. The hypothesis here, right, is that through bungling, the Tories have locked Mm. lots of this uh, ingrained potential that could be unleashed to make us into a country that makes precision machinery that makes other precision machinery. Yeah, Yeah, they've they've, they've locked the fire, right? And when when your fire is locked, you can't turn the page on it. (laughs) Every person in this country has a little German boy locked up inside them, (laughs) like he's trapped in in a shreddy, like hunger from that advert in the 90s. And he's waiting to come out and build a diesel engine which manufactures other smaller diesel engines. It's just a matter of time. It is. Unlocked potential says essentially that the responsibility to, let's say, reinvigorate the economy lies in everyone individually, and that if only everyone can reach their highest attainment as a as a producer, as a producer in sort of an alienated economy, then we can get there. But unfortunately, the Tories have bungled it, which means that things aren't being managed efficiently and potential is locked away. But that ultimately because yeah. It's it's innate. It's innate within us. You know, this is back to Mackinder. This is back to Cecil Rhodes. We are we are born fortunate to be the best race on earth. And if only we're unshackled, we will take over and rule everything. And so you've only got to unlock. You've only got to release the potential. The British are That's naturally. That's why Rhodesia is still kicking around to this day. Yeah, it, it's the same old thinking. It's the same old thinking. We, we are. We're destined to be up there. If we're not up there, it must be a small thing holding us back from our rightful place in history. Well, also the talk of unlocking, as you say about tinkering, it's like, well, we can't or won't undo anything we've already do- done, right? We're not going to bring so- bring social housing back. We're not going to like take infrastructure into public ownership. We're, we're not certainly going- not going to spend any money. No, 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 and those student those student loans are forever, and you know your yeah. grandchildren can have them as well. And, and we're not going to U-turn on anything. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and so for me, what unlocking means is attempting to, in fact, lock in everything we have already, uh, and just to say we if, so we can keep all of this, and all of this will keep working if everyone just works a little harder, and we're going to give you the tools to work a little harder, but we're not going to give you anything like a better life. Well, obviously, the Tories are useless and they've fucked everything up. So when we get into power, well, we're not going to change anything from what they've done, actually, because that would also be bad. That would be irresponsible. Mm. In fact, not changing Tory policy would be the sort of thing 
changing Tory policy rather would be the sort of thing the Tories would do. Have you seen how often they change Tory policy? So, in fact, when we get in, what we're going to do is we're going to keep the policy exactly the same in the precise thing that the Tories won't expect us to do, and then everything will be fine. Yeah, because so. business likes stability and it knows where it is. So exactly. The, uh, general Melchett sort of vibe, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the key missions as well is to start building lots of houses. Of course, not nearly as many as are required, but the idea, let's get Britain no, building no, no, no. again. So, the plans involve a number of new towns, so new, new towns, built on um, Brownfield, which they intend to make more easy to develop on, or the Grey Belt, areas of disused land within the Green Belt, which consist of wasteland, car parks, and so on. Expecting oh, that cool. the Welcome to you, Stevenage. <laughs> Welcome to Wasteland City. <laughs> I can't wait for Neo Milton Keynes. <laughs> well, that they expect that the majority of upfront investment in new towns will come from pr- the private sector, with local areas bidding for new towns required to seek up. So it is backers, cyberpunk. So... It is yes. like Neo Milton Keynes, a project of I don't know, fucking Centrica or yeah. Carillion or whatever. Yeah, I, I live in I live in the Circo Zaibatsu in Hertfordshire. <laughs> yeah. However, however. They are, the, the key is that, that Starmer is, this is not from his speech, this is from commentary on the speech, is he expected to pledge Georgian-style townhouses in these new areas. So, Barrett what? townhomes. Yes. What, what in the King Charles fuck is, <laughs> why? Because that's what we need, because back, back then we were number one on the planet. So clearly it is, it is the lack of enough columns that has held us back. The thing is, right, there is actually a problem in this country with whenever we build anything housing wise, be it social housing, be it private housing, it's always shit. Hmm. And so he he sort of he's vaguely lacking onto a point here, which is that people like Georgian houses because that was the last time we built anything that wasn't shit. Um, And so like I like it, it's better. But then if you're going to let Barrett Holmes build them, they'll just find a way to build a shit Georgian townhouse and it won't be better. You need to fundamentally change the paradigm. They have have these special bricks which are much smaller than normal bricks. So from a distance, it looks Mm. like an okay house. It's just when you yeah. open the door and go in, you, t- you discover it's much smaller than so, the one your mum and dad had. It's like a model village. <laughs> yes. yeah. but, 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 like, but, it, it's, it's fully the, like, Poundbury stuff. Like, it's a weird little culture mm. war thing to get invested in, because, like, there are perfectly nice, like, Victorian Edwardian houses. I mean, not to do the sort of, like, mm. modern architecture society thing, but there's perfectly nice brutalism that people who live in it actually like. Mm. It's just a question of doing it with yeah, some, yeah, yeah. some degree of care, which we, on the whole, just refuse to do. Right. And which yeah, we yeah. won't do for this, because we're no. asking Barrett Holmes to do it. Well, I was just going to say, because a lot of it is about maintenance as well right and it's just kind mm. of you know even with like with sort of like the new builds like no the, the problem isn't the fact that they look a certain way at least to like most normal people it is the fact that like they are made when you see a new build like you aren't sort of if you're a normal person you're not sort of thinking that oh this looks aesthetically displeasing what you're what you're actually thinking is like well that looks like it's made of shit materials and like it's designed to sort mm. of be like mm. sheet like the well, it could be made of, of actual shit. It could too, actually be made of river. actual shit. And so the distrust comes from this, this idea that like, okay, these were made very, very quickly and you can see that it was made with very cheap materials and everything I know about them sort of suggests that within like five years, if not sooner, everything is going to collapse. And I want like with the Georgian house thing, like it's so, you know, the idea sort of seems to be that, oh, if you, because it, because what it feels like is like, it feels like a pot, like a very lackluster policy attempt to like return to tradition, right? Um, you know, mm. the idea that like if you ape the aesthetics of tradition, then you can like invoke the sort of sense of, you know, uh 
imperial nostalgia for lack of a better term but that time when like you know mm. things were better and they weren't you know and and for, you know when things were made like fairly decently and yeah. yeah it feels like there is a contradiction in practice and it does like this policy does sort of feel like one where it's uh, like and, and there's another big yeah. thing about the policy i mean it, essentially this is, this is the builders telling labor what to do that they are the advisors on housing now Oh, good. Well, we can trust them, right? You trust them, and then they would like to, they would like to build some more for it to be easy. Not too many, you know. They have to build slowly to keep the prices as high as possible. But the, but they want the yeah. promise of building because they don't want the Labour Party to look at people who've got second and third homes in cities, and to look at the holiday homes, and look at all the Airbnbs that are empty for half the time, and start to say, maybe we could do something about all those houses in London and Birmingham and Sheffield where the lights are out because they're not actually being used because they're an investment. Right? The builders go, no, 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 don't look at that. Don't think of yeah. actually using all your, all, all your spare capacity. Yeah. Just let us build another quaint, rather small place just off the M4 that a few executives might just be about to buy a house when they get sick in their 40s of living in London anymore. Mm. And we tell everybody else, don't worry, just next year, next decade, There'll be a house for you or a home for your children. And trust us. Yeah. And and you don't have to do a sort of like uh popular imagination of Corbyn kind of like expropriation of this. You don't have to do like Chavismo, like not mm. to keep coming back to Scotland, but like Edinburgh Council eventually has like forced through uh a, a sort of like a bylaw that is seriously gonna impede Airbnb operators, which is always a good thing. Mm. Thoroughly in favor yeah. of that. They're they're complaining a lot about it and well they might. Um it's, it's not just Scotland. You can look at the west of Wales. Mm. They put double council tax on empty holiday properties now, making it more and more expensive to have a house you only go to for a month because you know you just need it in the summer and it's sod what the locals do. We can look at Northern Ireland with the lowest housing costs in the UK and one of the lowest rates of child poverty because housing's affordable in Northern Ireland. It's only in England that we managed to get it so, so wrong and we don't even look at the rest of the UK. Well, I mean, well, of course you can't do that. <laughs> you might, yeah, you might see another bloke, and then you know that could be a bit suspicious. That's true. Well, exactly, there's, yeah. there's, there's some climate stuff here too, which is, you know, as as uh, Justin from World Asia Problems is, is fond of saying, the the greenest, like lowest carbon building is one that's already been built, um, and instead we're going to build a bunch more in places that don't have good transit links except by car. Uh, which is is great. We're just gonna like sort of turn up the thermostat a bit more as well. I was gonna say like let's let's remember. So sorry, just uh, I was gonna say let let's remember like the the new towns that we already have. So like the the construction of Harlow places represent yeah. <laughs> the place the construction of places like Harlow or or Milton Keynes. Place. How does this compare? This new round of proposed new towns compare to what we already have in terms of like solving the problems of people not having places to live. Well, well, I mean, for a start, those were brought in when we had to clear slums in the middle of our cities. You know, you couldn't mm. have people living at that, in that density. Uh, we were putting some of the planning of them together just after the Luftwaffe had bombed out a large amount. Oh, and when we were having three or four children per family. Right? We're not. Mm. We haven't had a two children per family since the 1960s. We've got enough in immigration just to keep us going as a country, but that's all it does. It grew a little bit of growth, but not that steady we have more houses in terms of rooms per person than we have ever had we had the biggest increase between the 2011 to 2021 censuses but mm. the upper middle class have to have two or three bedrooms empty 
because they're going to need them at Christmas. You know, and that, that is essential. When you build these houses, yeah, amazing. imagine a miracle occurs. Somehow inflation comes right down. We can afford the concrete. We find some builders from somewhere. We actually do build them. Who do you think is going to buy the houses? Right? It's not going to be the people who actually need housing because there's no way. It's going to be people who need a family house in the countryside to complement the mm. flat they already have in the city. That's mm. who they're going to sell to. This is yeah. housing for people of a similar social strata to somebody who might own a donk- donkey sanctuary. That's who it's for. This, this is the other thing, that, and I know this isn't the biggest issue at play here because, I mean, fundamentally the only way to solve a huge proportion of the issues with the British housing market is to build social housing rather mm. than private housing. But... If you're like a wealthy-ish person, right, and you can afford to buy a house for, say, like half a million pounds, right, outside of London somewhere on the M4, right, why the fuck would you want to spend your money on some piece of shit built by Barrett Homes, which is on a street where you can't park your fucking car because they don't want to, like, make space to park the car. You can only get there by car, and every other prick on that street has a house which looks identical to yours with fucking new PVC windows. There's a reason why you buy it. And you right. buy it because you can rent it out at twice what your mortgage will be, and it's going to mean that you can spend your retirement cruising around the Caribbean. That's who's ah, yeah, going to that buy these true. houses, yeah. And then some poor sods will be spending 60 or 70% of their salary to live in a home they never wish they could live in because the house builders got their way and got to build the kind of houses they wanted to build rather than the flats and apartments near the cities that we actually need. Oh, well. <laughs> if, if, if they carry on, you know, you've got to think, is it a kind of suicide mission? Mm, you know, mm. do, you, do you just, do you think... It's, it's a oh, kind of mission politics. It is a mission, it's a suicide yeah, mission politics. politics. <laughs> let's, do, let's do the same thing. I, my first job, after getting my degrees in 1991, was a housing research fellow for the Joseph Rowntree Foundation when the government policy was 300 fucking thousand houses a year. That was 1991. I'm getting old now. Several decades have passed. Right? It hasn't worked. And I'm, I'm a bit sick of hearing it again and again and again. That, that was the end of Margaret Thatcher and John Major. They were the 300,000 houses a year. We've kind of wrapped around. He's a new well, John Major, just not quite, of, quite as credible. Well, in 1994, the British government received a report that said all of these schools that were made out of rack concrete were going to collapse in the next 30 years. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah. obviously they took a lot of action on that. So Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, one of the other policies as well is the creation of a national wealth fund, which sounds excellent. I mean, Norway created a, na- a sovereign wealth fund out of its oil, and that's gone very well for them. But the National Wealth Fund... You've not got any fucking wealth to put in a fund! (laughs) You needed to do that in the fucking 70s, you mad bastard! You can't start a wealth fund when you're broke and be like, ah, now I've set up a wealth fund, don't worry, don't worry, I've not got any money, but I've just set up this wealth fund, so once that gets going, we'll be safe as houses, mate. This time next year, Rodney, we'll be fucking millionaires! (laughs) Jesus Christ. So... Um, I, I wouldn't say we're, we're broke so much as just uh, deciding to leave a lot of the wealthy uh, being very wealthy and deciding to uh, deprioritize it's, it's, spending it's, on it's things It's kind of. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, impression yeah. I have is that it's kind of both, right? Yeah. <laughs> and no, the, we, 
we we could soften the blow considerably by doing just a, a tiny bit of, of, yeah. of left wing like, politics, maybe. Like, like, like. Yeah, like like we could be rich, but we're not rich now. And so the time set up the wealth fund would be once we are rich again. But honest, to get rich again, we'd have to do like fifteen things that the Labour Party have put on their absolutely will never do list. The wealth fund is sort of how you would get rich by investing in stuff, and then that's how you become mm. rich. Mm. Just yeah, just put it all on fucking scratch cards. Yeah, well, 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 wealth might be the key word. I mean, it's worth you know. At least he's talked about a wealth fund. It's just um, if you haven't got any wealth, and it's wealth you need, you have to look towards. And the clue is wealth. We're going to enter the Euro Millions every week <laughs> as a country. <laughs> Everyone buys a ticket. Our chances of winning are high. <laughs> so the National Wealth Fund is slightly more, um, more uh, let's say, advanced uh, than Euro Millions tickets, but not that much more. Uh, which is essentially, it says right. it's a multi-billion pound fund um, to invest in critical infrastructure. But those critical infrastructure uh, bits are things like gigafactories, steel, and ports that can handle large industrial parts. Gigafactories, of course, we had one. It was called British Fold. It went out of business because the government didn't support it enough. Um, and yeah. on the flip side, it says that for every one pound invested, there must be three pounds of private investment. So essentially, it is another. It is a big de-risking activity. But it, again, means to have this geographical impact, right? It says the government will borrow to invest in things like gigafactories in places like, you know, in places that are um, sort of traditionally seen as deprived, even though huge amounts of deprivation, as Danny pointed out, is in places that are seen as quite wealthy, um, largely because of house but, but prices. Which are safe, but which are safe seats, and therefore we don't give a fuck. Yeah. Mm. So... Um, mm. So right, this is uh, this is this. We've learned nothing from the immediately previous election, where a bunch of a bunch of seats which we thought were safe seats turned out not to be. Mm. So the um the the argument here essentially is yes, we are going to de-risk a bunch of private investment so that again we how much uh, of a strategic stake will the the state have in things like I don't know the wind turbines that we're going to build, batteries, steel, etc. And how much is just going to end up being sort of huge giveaways to um, uh, the owners of these things? Like, for example, uh, Sanjeev Gupta. Um, yeah. Or, or you could just you could just look at BMW in Oxford. You know, seventy five million bung to stop them leaving. That was just a month or two ago. You can sit there in the private sector and look at this government and basically play chicken with them because you know they're not going to do anything that radical, and they're going to get embarrassed at losing their biggest jewels in the in the crown like the mini car plant because it's supposed to be going electric and it would be a bit embarrassing if it went to the czech border it but these private investors they, they are not going to do this if they're not going to get their pound of flesh so it really is the last of the asset stripping so it's the the way i see something like this like a de-risking wealth fund is it is as you say it's like paying a company not to leave it's the that from the other end it's paying a company to set up but then um, sort of abandoning much of your strategy to what the private sector will go along with, like so much. It's, 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 just, so, it is, it's so submissive is the main thing that strikes me about it. It is, it is like you know coming to these companies and you know not just giving them the kind of like regular fawning incentives, you know, not just like paying for you know nice fact finding missions and stuff, but like coming to them and being like, no, I am a dog, right? Anything you want, like it's the. It looks like the end of fucking old boy in the cabinet office yeah. if they get their way on this one. Keir Starmer featuring Carillionaire with "I'm so dirty." <laughs> <laughs> um, we're we're coming sort of towards 
the end. So I want to say a few more uh, things that he plans. One of which is, of course, get the NHS back on its feet. He says, if all we do is place the NHS on a pedestal, then I'm afraid it will remain on life support. To which I have to say, what fucking pedestal? What pedestal is it being placed? <laughs> what, what, what kind of life support? <laughs> I, like, yeah. I, In terms of the torturing of that metaphor, all I'm allowed to say is Israel has a right to defend itself. <laughs> yeah, you go to A&E and a bunch of nurses like put you on a pedestal. Yeah, 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 and then on life support, <laughs> but then get you back on your feet because you were like sat on the pedestal before. If that I makes know, sense. I know some people don't like the word reform. You're kneeling on the pedestal. You're on your knees. But I tell you, there's no other option. And what he means, of course, what the new the new um, sort of resources for the NHS, it's going to be mostly reform. So do it yourself. Use AI, whatever. Uh, with small amounts yeah, of extra sure. cash for training and overtime. So they say we're going to cut NHS waiting lists to increase overtime. So not more doctors and nurses. Not paying them better. Um, you we cannot are gonna make be... people physically more tired than uh, current NHS workers are. Mm. Like at some point, you hit like a biological limit on that one. <laughs> Everyone in the NHS will be issued cocaine. <laughs> you can you? You forget we took back control. So you know that European time mm. directive. No more working fifty-six hours a week. You, you in the good old days, the doctors would be awake all night. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I want doing. Yeah. We're going to get the German meth chocolate for the nurses. They're going to be like Messerschmitt yeah. pilots <laughs> during the Battle of Britain. Well, hold on. So, this is all going to be paid for by scrapping the non DOM tax breaks uh, to people who live half the time in the Ooh. UK. Which, but that's if you want to talk about fucking gesture politics, then just say we are going to this thing that has been chronically underfunded and in crisis. We're going to increase overtime by closing a tax loophole. That to me feels like a fucking gesture. Mm. Although it's, it's quite nice because we've had that non-dom status since the French Revolution when we brought it in. You kind of go, come mm. over here, aristocrats. You know, not only will you not get your head chopped off, but we're going to tax you especially lowly. Yeah, mm, yeah. Well, to Maybe me, we should is... bring that in again. They're not getting a head chopped off. Yeah, yeah. We'll get a bunch of Saudi businessmen over here. <laughs> hey, are you worried about being crumbed into a suitcase? Well, I think, I think we've kind of fumbled the bag on enough Russians that Britain is a like safe place to be in exile. No longer really exists. You know, you don't want to fumble really... the bag at the Saudi embassy. <laughs> it's like, oh, why is it wet? <laughs> this is Samsonite are never taking that back. <laughs> this is very similar to the promise in Reeves's speech to fix the concrete in the schools by ending the private school VAT loophole, which is yes, this is an unfair element of the economy that ought to be done away with, but it's only the most egregious one, and it's a very thin um constituency. It's just not enough to fix the problem. Not, no, you no, cannot no, no. rebuild every single school in Britain by taxing the private schools a bit more. That's just a way to look like you're doing something. <laughs> it, it isn't. Uh, and eventually, yeah, somebody's going to have to actually fix the problem. But no, uh, this is, this is no, all the same. We'll it makes, me, so, it makes me nostalgic for the press image of what Corbyn was, which was going to be like, expropriate everyone with more than 25 quid in their pocket, like yeah. at bayonet points. Yeah. So, 25 quid is now the ceiling. Yeah. But listen, right, we can't we're not gonna fix all the schools, right? Listen, right. If kids are in schools which at any moment might collapse, it'll be a lot like the Blitz. They'll learn to cooperate, they'll learn to work together, and they'll learn to imbue themselves with a the blitz spirit, which made our generation so great. So I think yeah. it'd be good. Doing and, good and, they can, and they can play in the rubble. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And then yeah, Carillion comes in and they can build a new Georgian house that'll fall down right on top of the school that fell down. Uh, so just yeah, here, here's how he ends the speech. Um, he says, we will face down the in- age of insecurity together, break the stranglehold of Tory decline together, walk towards a decade of national renewal together. Labor serves your interests. We will grow every corner of the country because we have a plan to take back our streets, switch on great British energy, get the NHS back on its feet, tear down the barriers to opportunity and get Britain building again. A plan for Britain built to last, to heal the wounds, a plan to turn the page and say in a cry of defiance to all those who now write our country off, Britain must, can, and will get its future back. Which Too I have many to say, subordinate clauses. Terrible <laughs> script writing. <laughs> it's, a cry, it's a cry for help from the script writer. They are sending us subliminal messages, yeah. you know, all, all those really bad metaphors. It's, please, please get me out of here. Well, yeah. yeah, it's like an acrostic. If you read the first letter of each line, it says, I am currently tied to four horses on the Mongolian steppe. Please send help. Yeah. I, I love the British energy thing. You know, we're going to have a different kind of electricity, not like anybody else's electricity. Mm. This is British electricity. Ooh, patriotic electrons. Or, yeah. or, or even then, right? it's the, the great British energy, from what I've read of it, it's another one of these crowd-in private financing commissioning organizations that still oh, won't Again? just own the actual stuff. Yeah, but it's called British. British. It's called British, so that's fine. And it's still going to be mostly have a flag owned on by it. like... If we put a flag on it and we call it British, you know, we yeah. could do the same with our thermostats. Right? <laughs> forget, forget Celsius. These are British Celsius. Yeah. The thing about the British government, right, is that it, with with private investment, they're just they they're doing this project, which is obviously profitable, right? Like green energy or whatever. It's like basically a license to print money. There's just like an initial outlay that you have to do, and they are and they're requesting all of this private investment, which is money they could just invest themselves. They could just borrow it and invest it for again the money printing machine that is effectively green energy, mm-hmm. right? And then they never ask themselves. Why do all of these private companies which have to make profit want to invest this money in this project? Like, they're literally renting a house that they could buy for no other reason than they have an ideological commitment to the rental market. It's the same as why they won't build council houses. Because that is the beginning of the terrible road to communism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inshallah, you know? Yeah. And that's why we talk Rose about are fucking terrible in this country as it is. <laughs> that's why we talk about like they say in a cry of defiance to all those who now write the country off. It's like, well, this is uh, this is a very very thin gruel, I think, in terms of the scale of the problems that are that we're facing. Um, it, it it quite uh, let's say dare I say gestures towards mm. their enormity. Mm. But um, gesture I, missions, mission gestures, not any kind of British gestures. I was doing the long gestures with a flag on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gestures to yeah, make yeah. you proud. Bracket yeah. point. Don't talk his gestures down. Mm. Nocturnal mm. gestures. Uh, however, I want to say. We will fight say... them on the beaches as they emerge covered in shit. <laughs> we will fight them with gestures. <laughs> we will fight them with thoughts and with pages of books and pedestals and feet. <laughs> And concrete. Keir Starmer has been really into the like heated, fermented mare's milk. You know, he's knocked a few glasses of that back. Uh, and yeah. we're gonna he's playing polo with a dead goat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From here to Coruscant, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's all we have time for in our second half. But Danny, I want to say thank you very much for coming and hanging out with us today, and uh, to remind everybody, of course, that um, uh, shattered nation, inequality, and the geography of a failing state is available wherever you might find books.
Mm. Yeah, turn a page, create a new Britain. It's full of fun, fun, fun. That's right. So It's an upbeat read, that's what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, thank you very much to Danny. And a reminder to all you out there in podcast land, there is a second episode of this show every week. It is $5 per month to access on Patreon. There are $10 episodes as well if you want even more. And also there's a stream most Mondays and Thursdays from 9 to 11. Uh, And I think also tour. Come see me in the UK. We're Bristol, Birmingham, Oxford, uh, 11th, 12th, and 14th, not necessarily in that order of November. Also, Germany this week. If you're listening to this in Berlin the day it comes out, fucking tonight, come and see me 17th in Berlin and 22nd in Hamburg of October. Uh, would love to. I'm not going to lie. It's an expensive trip and the tickets are not selling as well as they may have done. Please come to that. So. We will see the rest of you on the free episode in a few short days. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.